0: I think uh, when it comes to history, sometimes those individual stories actually, because it's easier to kind of resonate, I don't know, this is just me personally, but like when you hear a story about someone they're telling about whoever in history, you kind of can like stop and think, okay, like what would, what would I do if I was in his position or what would, whereas like what you're talking about with the boring history teachers, sometimes they just say. Oh, yeah, and then this happened. And, and this happened, and that and happened, then yeah. happened. And this happened. And yeah, and you got to find
1: those kernels in there, I think, and they're always there. Uh, you know, uh, one of the reasons I loved uh, when Clint Eastwood came out with the, well, he did Flags of Our Fathers, and then he did the bookend with the Letters of Iwo Jima, which I thought Letters was a far better movie.
0: Welcome back to the Intelligent Conversations podcast. Today, I have the honor to welcome back Bill Cushing. Bill is a poet and author. Today, we talked about the importance of history, writing, and learned a bit about Bill's family history. I, for one, was blown away by the story of William Cushing, who Bill is named after. I don't want to spoil too much of it, but without further ado, let's welcome back Bill Cushing to the show. What really blew me away was... Uh Will's story. That was what?
1: Well, you know how they always say that you know if you could meet anybody, you know, past or present, fiction, nonfiction, oh definitely be him. I, I I would love to hear the stories that nobody knows about.
0: <laughs> yeah. It...
1: Because you know any person is like an iceberg. You're only seeing about ten percent what's going
0: on. <laughs> well the crazy part to me was the like how he sent a letter, like he was going to kidnap a general, right? Oh, yeah, when he left. And the then government. he sent a let, like left a note no, card. I remember back
1: then calling cards was a regular thing. You carried them around with you. <laughs> so, <laughs> <laughs> you just left, Like what we call a business card. You know, that was pretty standard practice back then.
0: What did it say on it again? Just a refresher. Uh, you know,
1: uh, came, came by, you weren't here, maybe next time. Something like that. <laughs> Well, uh, like I say even the Confederates were like, this guy's cool.
0: <laughs> yeah, no. That, well, even his idea to how he came up with, like, sinking that ship. Yeah. Because, I mean, the ironclad ships were pretty new at the time. Yeah. And, like, he just decided, did he invent then the...
1: Well, no, he didn't design it, but he came up with the idea of, look, I want a way of blowing this thing up. Now, I think I mentioned that the Confederates had already used a torpedo of sorts uh, okay. when they had they had their own submarine. Oh, wow.
0: Yeah. That. So submarine
1: has been around actually before the civil war that somebody, I think even during the revolution, maybe or right after oh, wow. some guy, it was basically just a sealed barrel, you know, with a huh. pedal, you know, where you, yeah. I mean, it was impractical, but I guess it worked. I mean, you know, <laughs>
0: it worked enough that they used it and yep. built it so. but, um, man yeah i'm, I'm excited but Will, will's just but then you also uh you talked about the other one
1: alonzo yeah,
0: yeah alonzo he was in gettysburg that was
1: yeah oh remember he died at 22 so you know where he would have gone from there who knows
0: uh, yeah and they were both like pretty like doing really well, like, in terms of where they were ranked.
1: And there were two other brothers. Now, one was in the cavalry and was out of fighting the Apache Wars at that time. So he wasn't directly involved in the Civil War, but he was serving in the Army as a cavalryman. And then the fourth one, the oldest of them, he had something like asthma or whatever. I don't don't know what he had, but something that kept him out of the military. But he worked as a paymaster, which was still a military position. So all four of those guys served.
0: Man, that's, yeah, that was a time to be alive, too. <laughs> <laughs> i bet. So how'd you come about, like, writing this? Like, how'd you...
1: Well, of course, I grew up with William. You know, I was named for him. And so you know, I always knew his story and had read about him and heard stories. But uh, Lonnie, I heard about later when there was a bunch of us that said, you yeah, know, this guy should get the Medal of Honor. I mean, you know, and and Mm -hmm. so I really dove into it when um, when I created a Facebook page, which was basically titled Give Alonzo, you know, Lieutenant Alonzo Cushing the Medal of Honor. Well, once it was done, um, I said, well, look, I want to keep the page going, but he's gotten the medal. I mean, you know, so somebody said, I'll just change the name of it. And I said, "Okay." so we named it for him. I think it's now called Lieutenant Alonzo H Cushing, Medal of Honor winner um, and uh, and then we started I started posting stuff about William as well so you know, just generalized stuff about the family I would like to say I I mean I wasn't the biggest mover and shaker in that movement by any stretch but you know I heard about it I you know I, I saw actually uh, it was Senator Feingold who was one of the Few people in, in DC pushing it too he, because they were from Delafield, Wisconsin. Yeah. So I have a feeling it probably started there where somebody had said, Hey, you know, this guy should get because there, there was a time limit or there is a time limit, so you have to get an exception. But yeah, he finally got it, which he should have gotten, you know, hmm. much before, I think.
0: Oh, yeah, for sure. It's, it's, uh, like, yeah, his story was incredible as well yeah yeah i was but... very
1: very admired very respected and and very young i mean he was in fact besides custer who was a year ahead of him at west point oh, wow. nobody had moved through the ranks as quickly as as long did you know up to that point point. and the same thing with William. i mean you look at the i mean the guy's a full commander at 32 after getting kicked out <laughs>
0: yeah <laughs> <That's> <laughs> Not half that that, that's that is how one I thing imagine. We, that's that is
1: one thing we do share. I I managed to get kicked out of military school myself. So oh really? Um, keep keeping the legacy going, I <laughs> <laughs> Although so, nowhere so, near him afterwards.
0: So, so, so you're just waiting for the civil war to yeah. Come up yeah, and,
1: yeah. <laughs> I'll bow out of that one. <laughs> oh,
0: it's yeah. William William was really cool. Yeah, I oh, man.
1: But I think the other thing and this is one of I mean this has sort of been a labor of love of mine for years. I've been working on these two texts for probably four or five years easily um finally got to a point where well, um I don't know if you saw in the uh, index, I think that's where we have the credits is uh, that uh the Alonzo piece got third prize. In a contest, and the William piece is, is going to be in an anthology coming out. I think this week, actually.
0: Maybe. Oh, nice. When, uh, when's that? I, you know, um, it's. Oh, not when. Like what? What's going like?
1: It's a. It's what's the title of it? GI Days or something like that. It's it's a an anthology of military stories, military history stuff. So oh, that's
0: cool. And this is like a whole event that goes on. Like, uh well it's just a,
1: it was a call for uh you know works and, and so I sent that in and they accepted it. I said okay fine oh nice uh, so yeah obviously I want to give them first publication rights you know and wh- that's another reason that Paul uh, at Southern Arizona and I are holding off is to let them get their book out first and then we'll come out with ours
0: so okay gotcha
1: technically yes it was the first publication was
0: there. <laughs> So the Alonzo story, that one already won an award.
1: That yeah, took third place in um, I, I forgot the name of the uh, Yeah, last man, third place in the Colonel Darren L. Wright Memorial Writing Award. And the one on William will appear in G. I. Days Anthology of Military Life. Oh, that's cool. So those are the two.
0: Hey, well, I wish you best of luck with the, oh, the Will story. And- Story I, I, don't know if kill
1: I, it. I think I sent you the proof with the illustrations, which did you see? the Did that have the visuals? Uh, well,
0: maybe I believe not. A, yeah. I might have just. I think I, I only got the.
1: Just the text?
0: Yeah, I think I just okay, got the. Okay, because the book the will have the
1: illustrations in
0: it. Yeah, and I read that, and. Yeah, I, I, I read, like, so I read the Alonzo story first, and then uh-huh. I uh, had some other things I needed to get to, and then I yeah. read the. Uh, William, one last night, and I was like, oh, okay. What? I should have read this one. <laughs> <laughs>
1: what a character! Uh,
0: and what's yeah. crazy is they were both brothers, and they were kind of like polar opposites,
1: very almost. different. Yeah, in fact, that's the cover of it says, You know, two brothers, different in personality, but singularly dedicated to the union. Um, they both fought for this belief, and, and like I say in the, in the book, is you know, we come from a Puritan background, and if you look at the original abolitionists, they were the Puritans, they were the religious, the people that were the religious nuts at the time were the ones that, said, yeah, no, slavery is incompatible with the." Yeah. In fact, that's, it's interesting because an, another William, William O. Cushing, was a Supreme Court justice under Washington, uh, and he was the first judge to make a constitutional argument against slavery. You said that uh, oh wow that that's awesome you can't have this constitution and enslave people it, it, it's it doesn't work <laughs>
0: <laughs> well that's that's good so the yeah the, have... the
1: family was very much involved in that as, as most, and if you look at Harriet beecher Stowe was also very religious uh, you know she came out of that Puritan background as well
0: so i'm curious if uh like if you see any of like I mean, obviously, you did some research on, you know, finding oh, these yeah. stories. Do you see parts of, uh, like, Will and Alonzo in you? I wish. <laughs> well, I mean, you're, you're related to them, aren't you? Causing the
1: trouble part, I've got that down pretty well. Uh, but, uh, you know, I, I mean, could I have been that brave in battle? I have, no, I never... Got tested that way. I mean, I served obviously, but uh, mm-hmm.
0: never ran into
1: anything like what those guys went through. Um, yeah, so we all like to think we would, but uh, when the rubber meets the road, who knows? You don't know till you get there.
0: Yeah. yeah. It's one of those situations yeah. where it's, um, you, you like to think you'll do it, but then. Yeah. <laughs> you <laughs> realize, the past, wait.
1: There's no way of knowing. Yeah.
0: Yeah. But, man, it's just, yeah, it blows. Because, I mean, when I was reading it, the one I, I mean, I have nowhere near as much, as crazy as, like, Will. But, like, parts of him, I was like, okay, I, like, some of this, like, craziness resonates with me. Like, I was getting in trouble in school. Well,
1: that's the thing. And and he he was, you know, I mean, uh, mean, some of the stories that I don't put in there are are equally amusing, but it's just they didn't belong there, really, like, from his childhood and his... Youth before going into Annapolis and that sort of thing. I, although I did put the one in about the Great Wall of China, which I love that one. And then what? When they, they broke in, and this is of course when the Great or the Forbidden City. sorry. Right, the Forbidden City in China. And like I say, that was when it was literally forbidden. I mean, you know, it was sacrilege for any any outsider to go there. Uh, and so, yeah, what the hell, let's break in and see how it,
0: <laughs> <laughs> how it goes.
1: <laughs> and I can imagine that's what he was probably like. He he'd probably like, ah. Yeah, now, you know, it is funny, though. I do have one event that I, I, when I was in high school, I pulled off during one of our military exercise weekends. And, and uh, kind of like I can imagine him. It's like, ah, I'm tired of sitting around. Let's go do something.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Man, so you you have like years and years like generations of, uh, people that have served. In the
1: military well, yeah, I, 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 I come from a Navy family. My dad was oh, Navy. Nice. I was, I, I don't think his dad was, uh, but th- there was a lot of others. Yeah. In, in the Cushing line. That, you
0: know, so what, where's the direct line? The, uh,
1: well, between myself and those two brothers, uh, their fifth great-grandfather is my eighth great-grandfather. So okay. I think it makes us cousins four times removed. Or so I, I, I'm not sure what the math is. It's there. I mean, we all okay. have a common ancestor in the line. Cool. I'm not the most direct. In fact, the woman who received Alonzo's Medal of Honor lives east of us. And her son, I know, her son lives down in San Diego, and he was also in the Navy as well. And I, I think he I think he went to Annapolis. I'm trying to remember what it was, which is kind of funny because his name is Brooke Ensign. And I can just imagine once he got promoted, well, calling him Lieutenant Ensign would sound kind of weird. Although Ensign Ensign would sound weird too. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. That, and it's so. He, do you have, like, time, do you spend time uh, researching kind of other family members as well? Like in your Oh, yeah, yeah. obviously. Yeah. Some Is of that the other something expect- you enjoy?
1: One of my cousins just uncovered, well, not just, it was quite a few months ago, but she sent them to me, these letters that are, that my grandmother, my, my dad's mom, so it was her grandmother as well, uh, she was a Dutch woman who came to the States. Uh, and uncovered a lot of her letters. And, you know, it's just so cool reading these letters and seeing the cursive handwriting of those days.
0: just you know, <laughs> no, you're going back now to
1: the late nine, 1800s, early 1900s. Uh, I,
0: I know exactly what you're talking about. It, handwriting back then was. Yeah. Everyone just wrote in cursive, man. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and, and,
1: and everybody wrote. I mean, that's, you know, uh, one of the interesting things is. You read diary entries of people from the 1800s who didn't get past fifth or sixth grade, and it's like these people are really pretty well educated. <laughs> oh
0: yeah, no, <laughs> they are.
1: They had a, or at the very least, they had a very good command of the language.
0: No, they did. That's for sure. Yeah, I, I. The only reason I know that is when I was little, we would. Uh, we would do this thing called like indexing where you'd read those records and then pretty oh, much okay. dig, like digitize them and now yeah. you try and read them and type them in and send them off into the cloud you ever done yeah. anything like that
1: no i don't i i i i gotta admit i mean i download stuff but i usually print it out and keep hard copies on real big. i've got file folders um in fact, well, you can't see it but behind me there's a big filing cabinet which my wife is sort of forcing me to empty out now because she needs the room for this <laughs> <laughs> I have papers probably from 50, 60 years ago that I just I refuse to let go of I'm convinced they're going to become useful at some point
0: <laughs> oh I, well I mean the stuff you're printing now I'm sure are It's, mm-hmm. and that's the thing with hard copies is they're they're still, like, they're useful, and you need them around, because I mean, yeah, don't get me wrong, I probably would take the digital copy any day, and I Mm -hmm. I don't know, a PDF to me just seems easier, but at the same time, like, for some odd reason, like, you can't get access to the...
1: Well, it's funny, because last night I was at an open mic, and I read some of my poems there, and one of them it, it discusses reading books on the page as opposed to on a screen and he said "Then this guy you he say hey, i really like that one i said yeah you know i'm maybe it's my age but i still prefer holding something in my hand and reading it that way uh, then of course my big argument against electronic media in, in writing especially is you can't get the writer to sign it it's, sorry. it's <laughs> true i can't that was my biggest argument for books uh, yeah, the the hard I copy. I get a signed copy.
0: Yeah, and I yeah I have a signed copy of what you sent me. That was oh okay. Yeah. Th- th- thank you so much. I, <laughs> uh, from your the one book you sent last time we chat. That was
1: what was that? Was that the music?
0: Uh, or... no, that was the news. The news one. Oh okay, yeah. Yeah. And then there's this
1: or or, or this. Just yeah,
0: the, just oh my. Yeah. I'm sure I can see it if I. Yeah i just have so many books i can't see the, yeah. <laughs> the title well
1: welcome to the club uh,
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's so how many books is this for you then now
1: well this one coming up mm-hmm. i've got four poetry books i got the collection of short stories this one that just dropped today is is non it's we're listing it as a memoir I, I, I say in the book I don't know if you call this a memoir because I think one of the purposes of memoir is to teach the reader something I see. this is more like bar stool stories these are the things that you know when people get together oh this happened to me or that. these are kind of the ones that I always put out there these are the most of them funny and some of them serious but most of them is yeah, and, uh yeah uh, you know, drinking with famous people that you don't even know are famous until afterwards—stuff yeah. uh, <laughs> like
0: that. Uh, you you ever had an instance like that where you? Just... Oh
1: yeah, that's in, that's in
0: this book. Yeah, I got to
1: I, I got to have a drink with Captain Kangaroo. Uh,
0: I, don't, I, I don't even no, know who I, she is. That's uh... <laughs> oh, you don't know? Okay, Captain
1: When I was growing up, Captain Kangaroo was the kids' show, and I don't know. So this is 1960, maybe 64, something like that. Well, in 1978, I'm, I'm in New York City and waiting for the, you know, I'm taking my train back out. And I stop in this bar in Penn Station and sit down. And this guy invites me over for a beer and we start talking. And we're talking about the Yankees, of course, with baseball. <laughs> and so we're going into that. And, and, you know. He says, "Well, I got to catch my train." He takes off, and the bartender comes down. And says, "Do you know who that was?" I said, "I ah, said he looked kind of familiar, but I don't know." It's a "Captain Kangaroo." I'm like, "Oh my god!" I just had to the Captain Kangaroo, and, and he bought. <laughs> so,
0: but wow! I also had the other
1: big one for me is having a uh, sharing a scotch with uh, Joseph Heller, the guy who wrote Catch Twenty Two. Uh, <laughs> but that was more. I, I've had a chance. I think just. My experiences have given me the opportunity to do that stuff. Uh, you know, as a writing major, I worked on mm-hmm. festivals and things like that, and you get to meet people that way. Uh, yeah, I got to meet Ramsey Lewis, the the jazz musician, but I did a lot of interviews of these guys. You know, I got to meet him and, and Louis Gulson, people were like, oh, those were more formal. You know, I'm interviewing them, but it, it's kind of cool that sit down and meet somebody face-to-face if you admire their work.
0: Yeah. No, I, I agree. It's But the Captain
1: Kangaroo story is definitely probably the fun. The fun <laughs> because
0: it's, it's your go-to. I had no
1: idea who it was and here was a guy when I was a kid I used to watch his show all the time. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it, yeah. I wonder, I do wonder if I've ever had any of those instances. It's You just, you never know they're people too and yeah. they're just going out and Right, they're they're having a drink, doing whatever. Well, I think
1: a lot of times, and living, you know, now in L.A., and, you know, I, it's funny. I, I did get to meet just very briefly uh, Guillermo del Toro, the director, the guy who did Hellboy and all those other movies.
0: Okay, yeah. And
1: what it is is, my wife is a dentist, and so a friend of hers, this guy, is like the dentist to the stars. Uh, he, some of his patients are Tom Cruise and Scarlett Johansson. Oh, wow. And I think what it is, is the guy just doesn't care about movies. So he's not impressed. It, you're my baby. <laughs> That's all you want. Yeah, I, I don't care who you are or what you do. You know, just pay the bill. That's all I want. And But he is apparently very good friends with Guillermo, Guillermo del Toro. And when his son got married, I'm sitting there and I'm looking at him. I told my wife, is that Guillermo del Toro? She goes, oh yeah, he's a friend of uh, so I just went over the table and I introduced myself. I said, "Look, I just want to shake your hand. I don't want to bother you, but I just want to be able to say I shook your hand." So enjoy the rest of your dinner. And so, thank you much. <laughs>
0: That's cool. <laughs>
1: but, uh, That's yeah. so
0: cool. So, do these experiences that you have these uh, moments where like you're going about is that? Like, when you're like hitting that writer's block or whatever it may be is that kind of how you go and try and find inspiration as you go out I, and...
1: well i i have to admit that this new book the time well spent a lot of those stories just came out from my writing group because i'd be working on something and I, i'd hit a snag and I'd say, well let me go back and do this. you know because i always <laughs> said i was going to write this up and i'd write it up and present it and that that way i'd sort of get over the I think one of the things if you talk about writer's block the best way to get around is just do something else uh even if it's revising old stuff that you you haven't gotten to in a while or working on something else or looking a lot of times i'll just look over what notes do i have that i haven't used and maybe i can think of something um i think probably the advantage i have is i'm not locked into one form of writing you know i i Not strictly fiction or poetry. I can do either one or the nonfiction. So, all right, I can't think of anything for this. Uh, Let me put it away. I'll get back to it later. But that's also been sort of the impetus behind most of this. You know, this will be the, once this Two Brothers book, uh, this Brothers, it's now been changed to Heroic Brothers, by the way. Mm -hmm. No longer Two Brothers.
0: Yeah, you were telling me about that.
1: But once this goes, this will be the fourth book this year that's come out of mine. Uh, but here again, you have to figure, well, the writing's been going on for eight, 10, 12 years before this. So it's not like I just whipped up four books. and just, I finally got them ready for publication and uh, found a publisher willing to go with it. Uh, now, next year, I'll be a lot of revising. I'm working on the memoir of my late wife. I'm Revising a memoir I wrote about my days in the Navy and afterwards on ships, which needs a lot of work. In fact, one of the guys who's helping me—we're going to get together probably in the next week or so, or maybe after the holidays. Uh, but uh, you know, the the one about my late wife is—I'm still revising it. It's almost done. It'll probably be done if not by the end of this year, certainly by the start of next, and then I can start revising that. And then there's some other projects. Uh, I, I, there's a piece of Puerto Rican history that's, to me, is screaming to be written about, and nobody's written what? about that I know.
0: Of. So, what um, what history are we talking? It's
1: about? Uh, it's called Grita de Lares, and it was a revolt that the Puerto Ricans staged against the Spanish Empire back in the 1870s. Well, the more I heard about it, the more I realized. The parallels between their attempted revolution and our successful revolution were uncanny. I said, "This is almost like the American Revolution. The only difference being that ours succeeded and the Puerto Ricans didn't." But it's it's because they had their own Betsy Ross in there. They had their own Thomas Jefferson. I mean, I'm looking at these people. I'm like, "Well, this could have been this guy. This could have been Adams." So, and it's something that. Even there's a good number of Puerto Ricans aren't even aware of this piece of history to to any great degree. Uh, So that's something I wanna work on. I'm I'm also like, I wanna start getting together. There's a, here again, I got this from my wife. There's a Peruvian event in 1970, 71. uh, That's very intense where this one little town suffered a tsunami an earthquake and a mountain slide—I mean, all in like a 36-hour period. this just got <laughs> with every natural disaster you could think of, and it just buried the town. And the Peruvian government decided, no, we're not going to rebuild it. We're going to keep it the way it is. That's going to be the memorial to these people, and huh. very few survivors. Well, one of the survivors was one of her cousins, who was about seven or eight at the time. So I want to oh, write so this that is out.
0: like. Hmm? This is pretty, like, not recent, but... Yeah,
1: it well, 71, 72, so, yeah. Wow. Uh, what? But, uh,
0: that's just... I, I'm... Well, astray. here again, it's South America. I, I feel mean, like that would be, like, mainstream, like, yeah, there's this town that just got...
1: Yeah, it's just complete... The only thing that was left standing above ground was the uh, the cross, I think, on the church. Oh. So they basically said, all right, that's going to be the memorial. Probably,
0: uh, you know, that's a farm, really
1: or anything like that. And it was just a little farming town that had very few people lived there, but some of them survived. And uh, man,
0: so I'm yeah, that, I'm writing
1: that up as a creative nonfiction. Obviously, I'm going to fictionalize a lot of it because I can only guess. But I want to get with her cousin, say, all right, what what do you remember? I mean, like, what did you smell? What did you hear? You know what was it like going through that you know yeah she was younger she was a kid but you go through something like that it's going to stay with you i'm sure
0: <laughs> oh <laughs> yeah for sure i mean i'm just even trying to, like imagine like obviously like a tsunami or something like that would yeah. be enough to be like oh my and all of <laughs> a sudden the ground starts shaking you're like wait like a, a minute
1: a, a hat trick from god <laughs>
0: Exactly, but uh,
1: so that's a project I want to take over, and, and so that, those will be the upcoming things I do, and then of course I'm still writing the poetry and, and getting involved in that. Mm-hmm. Um, I probably won't worry about putting another book together for some time though. And, yeah,
0: you I'm you sure. already have a, enough, and I, I want to ask this before we get too uh, down this rabbit hole, but I with the Puerto Rican story, what why did uh There. Why did the U.S.s succeed, and why did the Puerto Rican one fail?
1: (laughs) That sort of give away the whole point of it. Oh,
0: that's fair. That's fair.
1: But basically, the Spanish found out about it. It was a screw up in intelligence. You know, the 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 Spanish troops discovered what was going on, and they just kept it quiet and let it happen, and then they were ready to go. You know, they they basically ambushed them. Oh Uh, man because they knew what was going to happen when
0: it was going to happen all that stuff that's what's crazy to think about as well as i mean obviously when you read books about even just the american revolution to us it's like oh yeah this just happened i'm like yeah yeah. but did it just happen like they had to (laughs) they, they put some planning behind it and
1: I mean, you look at uh, you know, I mean, Benedict Arnold, who's, you know, now, now the, the name has become synonymous with betrayal and all that stuff, but he was finding, you know, we're getting our butts kicked here, man, <laughs> you know, save mine while I can. So from his point of view, it was the smartest move to make, and as it turned out, no, it didn't pan out his way, but, uh, yeah, and there were a lot, yeah, that's one of the things that the American Revolution was not fully backed by any stretch. By the population. There were a lot of people like, no, no, let's not make waves. We just keep petitioning.
0: Yeah. No. Um,
1: That's why we remember people like Patrick Henry, who I think was probably one of the great personalities of that period. Um, You know, John Adams, another one, and and Sam Adams. I mean, Sam Adams, you know, worked behind the scenes mostly, but he was, you know, he did pamphlets and, and where John Adams was out making speeches and stuff. Sam Adams yeah. would have stayed in the background, but yeah, he was a pretty yeah. revolutionary guy.
0: Wasn't Sam Adams also pretty, uh, I don't know what the right word is, but like reckless at times too? Or
1: I think he had some, yeah, I just read something on him not long ago. Yeah, he had some near misses. <laughs> he could have gotten some real trouble.
0: Uh, yeah, but... like, oh, I'm trying to remember, there was slipped in my mind but that's why
1: right. I you know I don't know if you ever saw that series the Sons of Liberty. Uh, I I it was a, it's a DVD collection. I think it was out on the History Channel or something. But it's a very interesting look at how the revolution came about and how it was organized and uh, I think they even had one chapter that was on the spies, you know, colonial spies. Uh, which is yeah, you know, I... again, that always becomes a big part of any war.
0: You know? Yeah, no. And I uh, on that there is actually a show out there if you're ever interested. It's called like Turning Point. Okay. I, I, I want to make sure that's right, but uh, I, I believe it's on Netflix. I oh, okay. don't quote me on that, but it's it's about pretty much the spy like network that mm-hmm. Washington oh, okay. set up.
1: Yeah. And one of the things Washington did that was smart was he didn't keep stuff on paper. He, he yeah. was smart enough to keep all the information in his head, and uh, so there was never any written evidence of this was going on. Of course, the downside of that is if you get killed, you're the only one or not. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, that... I'm trying to... Yeah, no, that actually is what... I mean, obviously, they, like, eyes it and all that, but... Yeah. yeah. I mean, there is a lot of, like, actual, like, hey, this actually happened. <laughs> yeah and, it, and i was like well that's what i
1: find yeah it, it's funny with me well of course i i think i mentioned this to you before that i began as a history major i just veered off into writing oh yeah by accident and i love history i i you know and i've always insisted because i, I like to tell my students i say yeah, yeah, how many of you don't like history and a lot of them will raise their after is it because it's boring oh, yeah history is boring i said no History is not boring. Now, history teachers can be incredibly boring, but don't blame the subject matter, you know, for, for their bad delivery. Uh, and I was lucky enough that I had very I, I only had one bad history teacher, my all through high school, college, whatever. And by the time I got to that person, I was old enough to realize, all right, I just need to get through this semester, you know, that yeah. <laughs> I don't need to deal with this guy anymore.
0: I think uh when it comes to history sometimes those individual stories actually because it's easier to kind of resonate I don't know this is just me personally but like when you hear a story about someone they're telling about whoever in history you kind of can like stop and think okay like what would what would I do if I was in his position or what would right like you kind of it it allows your imagination to kind of go wild Whereas like what you're talking about with the boring history teachers, sometimes they just say, "Oh yeah," and then this happened, and then this and, happened, and that happened, and then this and, happened, and... and yeah, and
1: you got to find those kernels in there, I think, and they're always there. Uh, you know, uh, one of the reasons I loved uh, when Clint Eastwood came out with the "Well, I did Flags of Our Fathers," and then he did the bookend, the Letters of Iwo Jima, which I thought Letters was a far better movie, uh, mostly because it's from the point of view of that one private. You're not getting the guy who's the general. I mean, the general's there, obviously, mm-hmm. part of the story. But the point of view is the grunt who's doing the work. And, you know, it's the same thing with, uh, uh, well, and this is one of my big complaints on the, the when Netflix came out with their uh, All Quiet on the Western Front. I was like, look, it, it's a good movie and it's an interesting story, but it's not All Quiet on the Western Front. If you read the novel, it's about... The guys in the trenches. It's about the the ground pounders. It's not about, you know, which I don't know if you saw that Netflix version.
0: I I didn't watch that.
1: Go see the original or or there's a 1979 version that's not too bad either. The big thing on this one was oh, they did it in German, so it was true to the language. Yeah, but it wasn't true to the book. (laughs) (laughs) So that that was my big problem with it. I said and not that it wasn't, it was a fairly decent story. But it was not, uh, what's his name, uh, who, who wrote the book, it's, it was not his book by any stretch. Uh, yeah. You know, because it showed the politicians and the diplomats and the generals. And of course, they changed the ending completely. But uh, yeah, I, I think that what made All Quiet on the Western Front such a powerful book, right like Johnny Got His Gun, I don't know if you know that book, uh, mm-hmm. Paul Trumbull's book, you know, both World War I books, but they're about the lower level guys. You know, the, the, the yeah. ones that aren't conducting the battles and, you know, planning everything. They're the ones fighting.
0: That's, so I think that right there, I, I just have the thought that, I think that's what differentiates uh, uh, movies and writing. Writing allows you to get into the thoughts and there's like yeah. no, there's no constraints on <laughs> how uh, yeah. in depth you want to go. Whereas movies you can't really read their thoughts. You just kinda have to Yeah. You almost have to show what they're thinking, yeah. and that's that's very hard to do.
1: But and here again, here's another good example. You look at Valkyrie, and I'm not saying it's not a good movie, I thought it was fine, but it's from the point of view of uh, what was his name? Von Stauffenberg or whatever the German general was who you know, that Tom Cruise played. Oh, okay. Who was an interesting character and I thought, yeah, it was but there's a book by uh, a German writer, Hans Helmut Kerst, wrote a book called Soldiers' Revolt. And it was about the assassination attempt. But it's seen from the point of view of the lower level people, the ones who, you know, smuggled in the explosion, you know, designed the bomb and, and all this other stuff. And, and so uh, I found it a completely, of course, I think he's a good novelist anyway. He's a very, he wrote a lot about World War II uh, about the german army and, and that sort of thing
0: uh yeah but uh it's it reminds yeah,
1: I me both i thought it was a tremendous book i'm reading it this is fascinating because yeah you know, yeah i heard about the you know the attempt and who was involved i mean you know rommel was supposedly even involved although they never technically <laughs> convicted him of anything
0: uh, yeah man i mean both world wars are just I mean, right, millions of people were involved in them. I mean, there's so many stories to just, I mean, that's why I kind of like them. There's just so many.
1: Well, I'm tempted to, I would like to write something, and it would probably be, I think it would be a poem, but I don't know if you heard about this woman who died Either the beginning of this year or last year or later on, but she was a Dutch woman, but during the war she had worked for the Dutch Resistance. And she was like 15, 16 years old. <laughs> I was like, this is such a when I was reading her story, she would basically seduce German soldiers to you know what? come into the then she'd kill them. <laughs> <laughs> this is a 15-year-old girl.
0: What? 15, oh wow.
1: And and she would transport information back and forth because you know, here's a little 15-year-old girl on a bicycle with a basket, who's gonna bother her? Well, you know, she's got all these communications. That's really ballsy, man.
0: <laughs> that is, especially Especially, I mean, I don't yeah, know. I was reading her story. I was like, my God, this is
1: incredible. This. And apparently, her older sister helped her along too. They, they both. But just the thought of, I mean, to me, it's like, well, yeah, the fact that they were Nazis and working for the Nazis is one reason. But the fact that some 20 year old guy would go after a 15 year old girl, but there's reason enough to waste him. <laughs> Man, I, I'm yeah, sort I got of it. hardcore on that stuff. Yes. I don't have many morals, but I do have a couple. I yeah, yeah. the... kind of hold them And that's one that's like, yeah, you don't do that.
0: Yeah, there's. Well, that's the interesting thing about war is everyone has to draw their pretty much they have to draw the line in the sand and say, yeah i will yeah. not cross and, and this. decide
1: where they're going to go yeah and that's i mean you look at leon Uris's novels which deal a lot with world war ii and of course with israel as well uh, fascinating stuff and, and here he, i i like i've always liked his stuff because he really does his homework um uh, Kind of like oh, well, Crichton's another one like that. I mean, not that he writes about military stuff, but Crichton tends to write about science and medicine and that kind of thing. But you you come away knowing some things that you didn't know about that field afterwards. And I think that's what I like about reading this stuff. And that's sort of what I'm hoping this'll do too. You know, this particular brother's book uh, show people that no history and and you know. Alright, one story is involved strictly with a what a five hour period on one day. Whereas the other one covers from Annapolis up until his death, so it covers a multi year period. But um uh, yeah. yeah, it's there's some interesting characters, these interesting personalities.
0: Yeah, and it it shows right that, huh. that uh yeah, that every, everyone has their own story and everyone's yeah. living their own lives well and... it, it's funny
1: because that's one of the things I've always said when I talk about literature to my classes like you always hear people say well you know somebody should write a story about my life it would be an interesting book or movie with mm-hmm. it and I would say well everybody's life is an interesting story it's just that not everybody's an interesting storyteller that's <laughs> that's the difference. Um, and that's the trick. You got to be able to make it worth hanging with for the reader.
0: Yeah, and I mean that right there is. Uh, I think everyone's capable of being a good storyteller. You just have to find what your medium is. Yeah, yeah. Like I would say my my method of storytelling. I'm really good at telling stories. Just yeah. when I'm sitting down with someone, I'm like, all right, yeah. Listen here. <laughs> yeah. And I'll I'll tell a story just verbally. Yeah. Whereas other people, it might be better to just write stuff down. And you're yeah. reading it, and you're like, oh my goodness, this is incredible, man. Yeah. And then uh, i to think another way that could record stories. But the moral of the story is, like... Yeah, and,
1: and that's, uh, which, by the way, is one of the reasons I, I am really big on writing birds. Because they let you know, okay, I have this story, it's very interesting. Every time I tell it, people are entertained. Now let me write it down. But by exposing it to some of the other writers and letting them go, well, you know what? I need this. I need that. You didn't give me enough here. Mm-hmm. You can start, and that's one of the reasons. I mean, you know, I, I, I always find it amusing when students, oh, you, you belong to writing. This. Hell yeah! You know, I mean, hey, Otani gets coached. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. You, you always need that outside influence to look at you and say hey you know this is what you need to work
0: on it's important <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I agree it, don't don't shy away from not necessarily criticism but like in a way like have like, people yeah, review your of work course you, you know.
1: take it with whatever grain of salt is applicable yeah. to the situation i'm like there are some people when i hear them complain i go okay i i trust this person there's others like well you know i've seen your stuff <laughs>
0: <laughs> well you have to remember some people just complain just to complain it's, well yeah, yeah yeah can't really do much about that
1: but that was you know i mean when i got to goddard and, and not to make this an advertisement for goddard but uh i think that was the biggest thing to me was when we were workshopping our work and these people criticized i was like yeah you're right Whereas I think back to what my when I was an undergrad, and people, well, I, mean, I don't know if I like this. Or I like it. was well, like, okay, fine, you don't like it, but you know, I like it. I, I'm going to keep it in there. Or you know, if it's good advice, yeah, you take it. But
0: uh, yeah. yeah,
1: there was a lot of times. Now, like I say, once I got into that MFA work and and listening to the work of these other people and, and knowing their resumes, I'm like, yeah, I better listen to these guys. They know what they're doing.
0: Yeah, it's, that's cool that yeah. you do that and all that. Well, in oh, fact, man.
1: I've always, whenever I talk to somebody about the school and, and, and they might be coming in or they might be going there starting up, I say, look, the, the one fear you got to get over, you, you will have it. To, to me, it's inevitable. You're going to get there for your first week or so, and you're going to think to yourself, you know what? I'm a fake. I shouldn't even be here. <laughs> They're going to find out about me before long. I think every student there goes through it because you get exposed to this writing that's so good that you start mm. questioning whether you're qualified. Look, you are qualified. You got into the place. Uh, yes. you, know, you just have to have the
0: confidence that you'll learn. And you just, yeah, got to continue yeah. as well, like practicing. and.
1: But, yeah, but I remember I was there three days, and I'm like, oh, my God, I'm a fraud, man. <laughs> I don't yeah, know what they're doing I, I don't
0: know what i'm doing here but... I, <laughs> no i i get that no i i do it's uh not not even writing it's other oh yeah i'll toy oh, around sure with i will be like
1: artists go through the same thing and the theater people go through the same thing
0: yeah it's kind of like that why not not even like the uh why me it's just Man, am I even, like, allowed to How do this? <laughs>
1: Somebody was asleep at the switch.
0: <laughs> like, pe- people are trusting me to do this? Like, you're, yeah. all right, like, yeah. I guess I'm...
1: Well, it was out. funny, because one of the stories I love telling about, my second semester there, there was a woman who came in, it was her first semester, and we got along very well. Turns out she sailed, I sailed, you know, we thought that's a common interest, and in, so we hung out together and there were a lot of times, you know, students would give readings and, and you know, you well, this one guy read something that was just horrible. It was just really bad. Uh, I mean, not just from the content, but the delivery and, and just the structure. I mean, I mean, not just not just that I didn't care for the story, which I didn't, but it was not very well structured. There, was, there were flaws in the plot and all kinds of things. And the next day at breakfast, she's gone. Well, you know, I keep hearing how good this school is, but you know, that last night, you know, doesn't put you know, give me much faith. I said, Well, look, think of it this way. I said, First of all, let's give the guy a break. You know, maybe he had a bad day, he thought it was good. I'm, I, my hope is that while he was reading, he was thinking to himself, Oh my god, this is horrible, I got to <laughs> But who knows? But you know, maybe he's happy with it, possibly. His samples were so good he got in, maybe he shouldn't be here. But I said, think of it this way. What do you remember from an undergrad? When you were an undergrad and you were doing this stuff, what do you remember? You remember the stuff that was very good. Why? Because it was very rare. What are you going to remember here? The stuff that was very bad. Why? Because it was very rare. (laughs) you you you're in among a group of very good writing writers here and so what's going to stand out is the unusual and that was unusual you know normally you're you're used to you get spoiled you, you think yeah hey, I'm pretty, you know on a great, on this high level no well, maybe they're not interesting so yeah
0: wow yeah i i didn't even think about it like that that almost rarity like just
1: yeah, what stands out in your life is the yeah. stuff that's weird, that's yeah. unusual. And in that scenario, I said, "Yeah, what stood out? with the bad writing? Nothing." Which only, here again, to me, further attests to the quality of what is going on here. And it's the same this writing group I'm with now. I'm very happy with. I, you know, I, I, I mean, we all work in different areas. I mean, one woman is doing like a fantasy novel, which is, uh, that's not my market. Uh, in fact, I tell, I said, look, I don't know how to really criticize the, the work from a, you know, structural point of view. So my best contribution to you is fixing the grammatical errors, letting you know when you're repeating yourself, stuff like that. That's the best. I, I don't read these types of books. I don't know what's, you know, what's the formula. Uh, so I can't help you there. But, uh, you yeah, there's a lot of YA people in there. Uh, There's one guy who writes horror stories and he writes some really great horror. That's not my bag. I I don't read a lot of that. Not that I don't read it it at all, but it's not my preference.
0: It's art. It's it's an opportunity to express what's on your mind. Yeah,
1: but I think what I like is that these folks are all, to me, doing pretty well in whatever field of writing they've chosen. So when they give me feedback and say, look, i you know I thought you yeah, acted like kind of a schmuck here yeah, you might want to change that <laughs> and, and sometimes I go well yeah but that's the point I you know I'm trying to show that I'm not this perfect guy you know that I can screw up just as badly as anybody else but yeah maybe I'll tone it down or something like that yeah you know, yeah that's why I think critique on that stuff is very important
0: it is it, it is
1: yeah. well, I don't know if I told you this story, last time we met but one of the when i started writing poetry i, I used to go to this bar and this is in jacksonville i went there all the time so i got to know everybody there and one night i'm there and, and the bartender goes oh you got to meet this guy he writes poetry too you know you, you'll like him which was kind of funny because i've always said well just because we share one common experience doesn't mean i don't like you." Uh, <laughs> so, there's no guarantee of that but uh yeah, what I
0: mean. I mean and there's different types of poetry too, right? <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah,
1: but the point is, it doesn't mean our personalities are going to mesh. Maybe we can admire each other as writers, but it doesn't mean I want to go hang out with you all the time. But I, I, I asked the guy. I, well, one of the first things I asked him oh, "Have you ever been published?" And he said, well, I sent a poem to the Atlantic Monthly and they wanted to change one of the lines in the poem. So I refused to let them print it. And I'm thinking to myself, I mean, my BS detector is going off big time. I'm thinking, you know, if Atlantic Monthly wants to take one of my pieces, they can make whatever changes they want. (laughs) (laughs) Just to have that on my resume is going to be great.
0: Yeah. So I'm
1: thinking, yeah, I'm having a problem believing this. I mean, I can write to the Atlantic Month and get rejected. so, you know, oh, I applied and you know, I didn't publish my stuff. But then later on, I said, well, what's your process of, of writing? He goes, oh, well, I write a poem and it just comes out the way I want it. And I write it there. I was like, oh, get out of here, man. <laughs> <laughs> There's only two explanations for that. You either have the lowest standards in the world or you're full of it. That's the <laughs>
0: especially That's with funny. writing like I mean we just were talking about that It, it it's constantly evolving and hopefully yeah. you're getting better oh, oh, like
1: <laughs> and I'm not saying I haven't had the occasional piece that came out pretty much the way I want not that it didn't go through no changes but very well like one of them I use as an example is I wrote a, a paper on Uncle Tom's on the novel Uncle Tom's Cabin and when I wrote the, the first draft was pretty much it I mean hey, I had to go through and fix some stuff up But I always tell people, I say, yeah, but remember, I was, by this time, I'm 40 years old. Now, this was an argument I had been having about this novel with people for at least the last 15 years. So when I say the first draft came out very well, well, yeah, it was the first written draft. But I've been doing it orally for all these years and sort of building it up in my head so that when it came to writing it down, I pretty much knew how the argument was organized then it was just a matter of pulling the examples to prove my point. Uh, So yeah, it's tough to say that, well, yeah, that came out just right the first time. Well, it wasn't the first time, it was the first time on the page.
0: I I like that you I mean, this is just a little shift gears here, but that you uh, pretty much talked about your argument uh, with other people then went and wrote it down. Mm -hmm. Because I find that Actually write I mean uh writing stuff down when I uh like let's say I have a disagreement with someone or even just like a bad day, right? And you start writing just everything down. Yeah. You find that all of a sudden uh one, you're like, Okay, like I should have said it this way and it probably would've made sense to this person. Or you or you look at it and are like, Oh, man, I I sound like an idiot
1: Well yeah, I think that's that's the nice thing. But in this scenario it was more just I've been having this argument for years and then I got into a class where I had an opportunity to there was a, a paper topic. I said, Oh, I know what I'm gonna do because this is something that's been of personal interest to in me for years. And I've been making the argument, you know, on this for years and so now I got an opportunity to set it on paper. But yeah, I, I have had chances. Like there was something I wrote about defending the English language that I never even made the argument with a guy. I was sitting there and this guy said something about English. And I was like, ah, you know what, but I'm not going to we're at a party. It's a social event. I'm not going to get into a fight with the guy. But I immediately, like the next day, just wrote down everything I would have said had I engaged with him. And I added to it over the years and stuff. So I came up with this. Now, it, it starts with his basic premise. But the whole argument. Here's why I find them wrong. Uh, you know that, that I yeah. think position is off base. Uh, and it's the same thing where I've, I've like, I've written a piece about my generation, and, and uh, basically it comes off of a student once said something about, well, it's you old people who've screwed everything up. And I'm like, well, yeah, but wait a minute, let's look at some of the stuff we have done. I mean, I'm not saying we yeah. haven't screwed up, but. You're sort of not giving us credit for some things that you should.
0: <laughs> exactly. No, I... So I wrote this thing out as a way yeah. of saying, yeah, you know, well, we did this,
1: we did. That. I'm not saying I did it personally, but people of my age, and my age group have done this over the years. Yeah, it's pretty good stuff. Yeah.
0: But, yeah, and I mean, at the end of at the end of the day, every generation's gonna.
1: Well, yeah, every,
0: yeah, <laughs> they're gonna have things they did wrong and things they did right. Well, yeah, stuff. I mean, that
1: that's. Well, I, I think I, I don't know if I told. I actually wrote this up as a poem, uh, but it's it's the poem is titled "The Answer," and it's based on old people always look at young people and say, oh, "What a bunch of idiots!" And young people are always looking at old people. Ah, these guys are past their prime; they don't know what they doing. I said, "Well, really, what causes that animosity is." Older people are looking at it, younger people going, "Was I really that stupid?" And Of course, unfortunately, the answer is, "Yeah, you were." Uh, and then the, the young people looking at old people going, "God, am I really going to turn into that?" And well, yeah, you are. He <laughs> <laughs> can break it to you, but the answer to both problems is, "Yep, that's it."
0: Yeah. Uh, you can only embrace it and just yeah do what best. To get you can.
1: old and flabby and all that other stuff. And uh, yeah, I did a lot of dumb crap when I was a kid, so <laughs> well, I got to give you the leeway a little bit.
0: Yeah, but uh, man, we could we honestly could go on for hours. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I'm gonna at least wrap up the show here. Um, if people wanna. Your book, you just said you released. So, this is
1: the one that just came out uh, called Time Well Spent. Uh, And this is just a collection of short narrative pieces. This one just dropped today. Now, the other one is this. Is this. Okay, stop sharing. Let me go to this. The one I'm really interested in sort of getting people interested in, I hope. And that's this one. Um, is that is, yeah, that's we coming okay, yeah uh, that's the one I'm really pumped about.' I, I, I'm really proud of this book. I think it's it's a very nice work, and I hope people will enjoy it.
0: Uh, I mean i've I've read it so well, at least <laughs> parts of it. And I'm just saying like, I mean, Alonzo's cool, and I, I think his uh, story's cool. But, um, yeah, and you, and Williams, Williams Williams just, just blew, blew my mind.
1: <laughs> now you're seeing them for the first time. Right? So the one on the left is Alonzo, the one on the right, obviously, is William. Uh, but uh, yeah, like I say, they're very different personalities, but very similar in their devotion to what was going on. And I think that was an interesting thing. And and they were they were very inseparable as kids, and even as adults later on. Even though one went to West Point, the other went to an.
0: Awesome. Well, thank you, Bill, for coming. Yeah. Well, tonight. thanks for
1: giving me another chance to shout out, and, um, hopefully, and and I think I gave you have my email address. So anybody who's interested in getting signed copies, I'll make a deal. In fact, the publisher and I are talking now about doing something like a two for deal, with, because I've got the book of poetry, I got the the new one that just came out, and then this one. And so, if people wanted to buy two
0: of them will work out some sort of deal. Yeah, no, I, for sure. Yeah. We can yeah. throw that in the link in the Sounds great. description. Well, yeah. thank you. Thank you. Thank you. All right, everyone. As you can tell, that is Bill Cushing. He's a very intelligent person, has great things to share. I challenge you guys, if anything spoke to you guys today, to reach out to him and to check out his books. Uh, we talked a little bit about the story of two brothers Uh, that actually are in his family tree and he's related to and if you're kind of fascinated by that story I would challenge you guys to look into it Uh, he left you guys their links and covers for you guys to learn more stay tuned till next week we have a great guest lined up for you guys see you guys next week and let's get after it Hey everyone, if you liked this episode and would like to hear more, be sure to hit that subscribe or follow button. We release a new episode every Wednesday for you guys to listen to. Thank you guys so much for the support that you give. We could not have done this without you guys. If you would like to be a potential guest on the show, check out intelligentconvos.com and fill out the form there. Thank you guys again, and let's get after it.